this is your first time with us, I'd like to say welcome. My name is Derek. I'm the pastor here at Chi Alpha. I'd love to get an opportunity to meet you after service. My prayer for you is that you will feel loved tonight, not only by God, but also by this community. Fall retreat is only a few days away, in case you didn't know. We've said it like a hundred times already, and it's going to be a hundred more times. So if you have not signed up, it is far from too late. I highly, highly encourage you to come. I promise you, you won't regret it. You'll have a powerful experience with Jesus. We'll have a ton of fun, plus we all get to hang out with each other, which is also really fun, at least I think so, except if you get in the cabin with someone who snores, and so I'm sorry. There's always outside. One year, some dude slept on a bench outside. He said he was contemplating his future or something like that, so maybe he was spiritual. I don't really know what happened, but anyways, so most people don't know this, but my freshman year, I actually went to two fall retreats. So I went to the fall retreat here in Iowa, which is where I met my wife, Taylor, and got plugged in here. But at the time, my freshman year, I was going to a college in Minnesota, so I also went to, Chi Alpha, or went to fall retreat with the Chi Alpha at the University of Minnesota. I did not want to go to this retreat at all. The only way they got me to go is they told me I can play bass in the worship team for fall retreat, and I really just wanted to play my instrument and look like a rock star. I even took a selfie and said, like, rock star for Jesus, and it was really, the last selfie I took, it won't happen again, I'm sorry. I posted on my Snapchat story, which I learned today, you can swipe up on your Snapchat story, and that does things. Anyways, sorry, or on other people's, I don't know. Okay, back to the important thing. So up until this point, I didn't really have a whole lot of friends. I didn't have any friends in Minnesota, to be honest. Most of my friends are back in Iowa, because I went home all the time, because I met this girl, and she took my time away. Anyways, I hadn't met very many friends, and so there was this one guy, though, at Chi Alpha who really wanted me to come to a small group. He literally asked me like 20 times, come to a small group, come to a small group. I was like, nah, I'm good. I always had an excuse for him why I didn't want to go to a small group. I'd make stuff up. I got homework, which meant I had to stay back and play video games all night, but I would just be busy. I needed to talk to my girlfriend, things like that, and one time my excuse was that there's this guy in my dorm hall who threw an axe, and it broke the sprinkler system and my dorm flooded, so I had to go somewhere else. That was the only true excuse I had. That did happen. My dorm flooded. So that was not that fun. And I left my phone in the room. We had to evacuate, so I was without my phone all night in the, like, this lobby. It was the most boring night of my life. Anyways, so I'd always had these excuses. However, at this retreat, they got me to go because of being in the band. I did encounter God. He moved in my heart in a powerful way, but also I met my future small group. So it was actually not the guy who had tried to get me to go. I still bailed on him. That's which is bad. Anyways, these two other guys, though, who were really cool, came and hung out with me and took me under their wing and really created a friendship with me. And I got plugged into their small group right after that. And that group of guys quickly became some of my closest friends. They came to my wedding. They drove like four hours to come to it. And they loved me super well. Those guys I still consider deep friends and all that happened because I came to Fall Retreat. I remember I rode with someone on the way up, and then I, that person left without me, so I had to get a ride on the way back, and this was like two hours away, so they let me ride with them and cramped with like four other people in the back seat, so that was fun. But we won't forget you. That won't happen here, I promise you. We won't forget you. But if the only reason you come to Fall Retreat is because you're looking maybe to have fun with friends, that is a great reason, because for me, I met some of my closest friends ever there. Fall Retreat can be life-changing. If you're on the edge of whether or not you're going to go, I will do whatever it takes to get you there. I mean that because I believe in it this much. We're not just pressuring you, which we are kind of pressuring you. We're not just pressuring you because we just need more people at Fall Retreat. I want to illustrate this. What we are pressuring you for is because we believe in it. And we love you and we like being with you. And also we think God's going to move in a powerful way. So hopefully you feel this kind of like pressure is love in a little bit and a little crazy, but that's fine. We'll pray about that later. So please come to Fall Retreat. If not, that's okay. We'll still love you anyways. So for those of you that do not know, we are connected with Scent Church here in Cedar Falls. The lead pastor of our church is actually my older brother, which is really interesting. But Daniel and I, my older brother, we're very similar in many ways, but we're very different in a couple ways. So one way is in high school, I was a pretty surface-level person. Like, I didn't want to get deep. I hate conflict with every ounce of being. So I would avoid getting deep because that could lead to conflict. 
My friends and I's deepest conversations are about our favorite sports teams. We're like debating LeBron versus Michael Jordan as the GOAT of basketball, which the answer is LeBron. Thank you very much. And my friends and I would spend all day, every day together, and to be honest, I don't really know a whole lot about their inner thoughts. Like, we never shared our feelings or anything. We just kind of played basketball together. And I was like, all right, that's good enough for me. I've got friends to play basketball with. That's all I need. And those are my friends all throughout high school. Now, my brother Daniel, on the other hand, he wants deep, intimate relationships. So I'd ask him, like, about sports or college or video games or something like that. And he'd come back and be like, yeah, so what's your biggest dream? Or he'd be like, so Derek. And I'd be just like, hey, the Washington football team, then different name, they won. He'd be like, that's nice. So what are your, like, biggest insecurities that you struggle with? <laughs> or it'd be really weird. be like, if you were a penguin, do you think you'd be from the North Pole or the South Pole? And how does that connect to your emotional well-being and how I can pray for you? I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you? I don't want to get this deep. He's a really, really weird person. Okay, this one's bad. Don't judge my brother. He would get even a little bit more direct. And when I was in high school, he would like barge into my room and be like, are you watching pornography? I'm like, no, I'm playing PlayStation. Leave me alone. He was a, he's a weird guy, but I love him. So anyways, if you learned anything, that's what you learn. See, I was okay. I was cool at the surface level. I was good there. Like, leave my door shut. We'll be good. But he wants deep intimacy. So I think many of us in here are kind of like me. We're okay with the surface level. We can fear pushing too deeply. We struggle with intimacy, especially with Jesus. Like, we just go to church, we go to Chi Alpha, we check off those boxes, and like, that's good. God doesn't need to know the inner workings of my heart. I just need to kind of be religious, you know? We do the right things, but we don't honestly feel him. We're not sure, like, why we go to church. We just kind of do it because it's what we're supposed to do. And we're kind of interested, like, why does someone who's so, like, far off, this far off being like Jesus care about me? Or possibly you're here and you don't know Jesus at all. We feel all alone, and maybe you don't feel like you have any intimate relationships with anyone, and you just kind of feel stuck at the surface constantly. Or possibly we want intimacy with Jesus, like we want to get deeper, we just don't know how. We started following him more seriously, maybe you started like a few weeks ago following Jesus more seriously, and you're like, okay, now what? Well, tonight we're going to start our new sermon series entitled Foundations, as we discuss the three pillars of Chi Alpha. Here at Chi Alpha, we have these three pillars or three values that we live by. The first pillar is real devotion. Real devotion just means that we are committed to being intentionally intimate with Jesus through abiding daily. We are intentionally intimate with Jesus through abiding daily. It means that we will prioritize Jesus and spending time with him. That Jesus is not just a part of who we are, but he's our everything. That we are committed to helping students encounter God and grow in the relationship with him. We want to help you become the person that God has called you to be. Our second pillar is real community. Real community just means that we are committed to creating vulnerable fellowship. We want to be friends with each other, right? Life is not meant to be done alone. We want to spend time with each other and be real with each other. I don't want anyone to feel like they have to perform in here or wear like a metaphorical mask. I want you to feel like you can be who you are, that you can feel at home in Chi Alpha. My prayer is that when people in Chi Alpha get married, their best men, their maid of honor, are all Chi Alpha people because they love each other so deeply. Our final pillar is real responsibility. Real responsibility means that we're committed to finding, feeding, and fighting for students on campus. It means that we will be welcoming to everyone. It means that we want to push each other to be more like Jesus, that we will not stop at the surface level. It means that we'll do whatever it takes to love students. We are committed to laying our lives down for each other. Real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. That is the heartbeat of who Chi Alpha is. It's also the heartbeat of my own life. These three pillars, these three things are what drive everything that my wife Taylor and I do. Tonight we're going to talk about real devotion, and the next week we'll talk about real community, and finally we'll end with real responsibility. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can open those. If not, it'll be on the screen. But we're going to turn to the book of Luke. 
And this story in the book of Luke chapter 10 really describes what real devotion looks like. This story is going to talk to us about two different sisters who interact with Jesus in very different ways. So Luke 10, 38 through 42 says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, 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 Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for tonight, God, and I pray that we will just have an encounter with you and we will develop intimate relationships with you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Man, the main idea tonight is this. We must be intentionally intimate with Jesus. We must be intentionally intimate with Jesus. See, Martha was serving Jesus. She was showing proper hospitality. Martha was just doing her job as a person in that time period. However, this job of hers distracted her from what was actually important, which was sitting with Jesus. Through sitting with Jesus, the other sister, Mary, was developing intimacy with Jesus, which is the key to real devotion. Real devotion is being intentionally intimate. The definition of intimacy is closeness or a close familiarity or friendship. Jesus wants an intimate relationship with us. He doesn't just want blind servants who obey him, but he wants to know you and be known by you. He wants to be close to you. The God of the universe wants to be close to you. I think too often we're like Martha and we let the distractions of our life distract us from intimacy. It is impossible to be both distracted and intimate at the same time. My wife Taylor and I went to Italy a couple years ago and it was our last night there. We're having a romantic candlelight dinner. It's like on a rooftop thing. It was really cool. She got the prettiest dress in the world. I put on my best long t-shirt and jeans because that's the nicest as I get. And we share this intimate meal together. So I want you to imagine we're sitting there talking about love and our future and what this is going to look like. And then I just slowly get my phone out and start reading ESPN and get distracted by LeBron James. That would ruin the mood a little bit, right? That distraction is going to get in the way of intimacy. That would ruin it because distractions ruin intimacy. This is our relationship with Jesus. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants to share his innermost self with you so you can do the same to him, so we can have real devotion to him. But too often we get distracted. As a society, we are more distracted than ever. The invention of the smartphone was our key to constant distraction. We can have TikTok going where we have Clash of Clans on a different phone. We got Instagram or researching whatever we want. Maybe like the Marvel Cinematic Universe theory of how it's all going to connect at the end. And there's like 65 multiverses. Or we're just trying to take the perfect selfie. Like, what's up, baby cakes? I'm taking my selfie. We get distracted by these things, right? I'll be honest. I'm really bad about this. I spend way too much time on ESPN. I'll just research really random things, and it'll send me down this rabbit hole where I learned that Jack Black's older brother, Neil, is an engineer. I didn't need to know that. I didn't need to waste 10 minutes of my life learning that Jack Black has an older brother named Neil who's an engineer. How does that help me? But I wasted probably more than 10 minutes getting there. I do like Jack Black, though. Anyways, the average American spends 5.4 hours a day on their phone. See, I don't think any of us wake up and are like, you know what? I want to spend most of my day on my phone today. I strive to watch as much YouTube as possible. You know, I think we wake up with good intentions, right? Like we want to be a positive member of society. But I think we, sometimes we'll give in to maybe our laziness. Or maybe we distract ourselves because we're not really happy with our lives. We just want to numb the pain. Maybe we do it just to procrastinate. We don't want to write our homework or we don't want to write our paper. Or maybe we do it because we have deep inner thoughts that we just don't want to deal with. And so instead of getting emotional with ourselves and thinking real and having depth, we look at our phones all day so we don't have to think about it. 
So what's the solution to this? The solution is we must, be in, we must intentionally eliminate distractions. We must intentionally eliminate distractions. Notice that word intentional. This is not going to happen on accident. You're not going to accidentally or with little effort go from watching YouTube seven hours a day to, oh, only 30 minutes today. That doesn't happen like that. It's not an accident. We don't radically change our lifestyle on accident. No, it has to be intentional. One of my favorite people in history is this guy named Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was an old French monk. His job in the monastery was not to be a priest or to be a religious person, but he was just a cook in the monastery. However, Brother Lawrence made it his life's aim to be constantly intimate with Jesus. He did what he called the practice of the presence of God. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God that radically changed my life, and it takes like 20 minutes to read, so it's pretty cool. What this means is it means that he was always in times of prayer, whether he was at church, whether he's cleaning the dishes or cooking, he was always conversing with God. He was always thinking about godly things, trying to constantly be in the presence of God. He says in his book that he felt the presence of God just as much in the kitchen as during prayer time. It says this, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, when they're distracting him, I possess God in his great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. Say, I know what you're thinking. This sounds really hard, right? How do I constantly think about God and have no distractions? Maybe you're thinking, I can't focus on godly things or pray for more than 30 seconds at a time without my mind starting to wander. That's okay. It's a process. It takes time. Brother Lawrence says in his book, when his thoughts would start to wander, he wouldn't get mad at himself, but he'd just slowly bring them back and say, I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm back to you. See, if we want to be intimate with Jesus, we must eliminate distractions by slowing down our worlds and starting to think about God. Other things can distract us, right? There's so many things, whether it's our phone or maybe it's some things like small group leading. Maybe that's distracting some of you small group leaders. Maybe it's leading worship. Maybe it's focusing too much on your own agenda, your own goal, getting your homework done. These things that constantly just pull for our attention and Jesus is saying, just slow down and be with me. Going back to our story, Martha is distracted with doing things and in this distraction, she actually gets upset with her sister. She goes to Jesus and says, what the heck? I'm serving you. I'm doing all this stuff for you. And Mary is just sitting there on her rear. Someone tell her to get up and help. And Jesus responds with so much love and grace. He's not like, Martha, I know what I'm doing. No, he's like, Martha, Martha, only one thing is necessary. That thing is sitting with me. See, Mary had it right. The key to being intimate with Jesus is to be like Mary. So it's clear from our text that Jesus is saying that one thing is necessary and that one thing is being intimate with Jesus. But what does that look like? What is intimacy? See, I think there are three steps to being intimate with God that are illustrated throughout the story of Mary. The first step is knowing God, having knowledge. When Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, she was listening to his teachings. Jesus was a rabbi or just like a teacher in that time period. So what he would do is go around teaching people. And Mary was just sitting there getting to know Jesus, getting to know his heart, learning from him, growing in her knowledge. This is the first step of intimacy just like in any relationship, you cannot have depth, you cannot have intimacy without getting to know the person. Brother Lawrence puts it this way, we must know before we can love. In order to know God, we must often think of him. And when we come to love him, we shall then also think of him often, for our heart will be with our treasure. Again, it goes back to eliminating distractions. To know God, we must eliminate distractions so we can spend time in his presence. Something that I think is important is Mary's not sitting there just learning about God. She's just not learning about the Bible. She's not just there learning facts. She's getting to know God in human form of Jesus. We can't just know about God. We need to actually know God. 
Book knowledge, religious history, religious knowledge, just knowing the Bible is not actually enough. We need to get to know the heart of Jesus through spending time with him, through prayer, through reading the scriptures, through abiding daily, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, and having quiet time. This is real devotion, knowing the heart of Jesus. Knowledge alone will not lead to intimacy. You have to develop a personal relationship with Jesus himself. Think of me and Taylor. If all I knew was her birthday, her favorite color, and what food she liked, that's not intimacy. Intimacy came through spending time with her, through getting to know her heart, getting to know how to know the intimate parts of her being. Knowing facts about her was not useless for our marriage, but it wasn't enough to lead to intimacy. So after we start to get to know God, we will move on to having depth with God. So it goes from knowledge to depth. Another story about Mary in the Bible is told in John 11. In John 11, we learn that Mary's brother Lazarus dies. So Jesus comes to visit Lazarus to probably heal him was the goal. But by the time he gets there, Lazarus is already dead. So then Mary runs to Jesus. She knows Jesus at this point in time. She has a relationship with him, and she kind of gets mad at Jesus. It says this in John eleven thirty two. 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's accusing Jesus. Jesus is God. So Jesus could have been like, hold up. How are you telling me to do my job? I am Jesus. You are Mary. Listen to me. No, that's not Jesus. She sees real with Jesus because intimate relationships are honest. They're deep. They don't stop at the surface level. God does not want you to try to present your best self to him. God wants your honest, real self. If you're mad at God, tell him. If you are joyful, be joyful with God. I think so many times we think we have to be pompous with God. Like, yes, I will read the scriptures and open the book, and this is then, and then, 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 done. No, God wants to know the real you. He's not after some fake version of you. We don't have to try to fake it with God. We can mourn, we can laugh, we can celebrate, we can cry with God. God knows what you're thinking anyway, so why do we try to hide it from him? This depth can only come through prayer. Prayer, just talking with Jesus, is our opportunity to push past the surface level. God is strong enough to handle you being mad at him. It doesn't shake God in his boots when you're mad at him for something. No. God just wants you to be honest with him. If you're struggling, be honest with Jesus. Be honest in prayer. Pour out your heart to God. Be real with people. And this happens all throughout the book of Psalms. This is just a book of prayer. Something that I love about the story of Mary is as Mary gets a little upset with Jesus, Jesus doesn't respond like we'd expect. He doesn't correct her. He doesn't go to immediately solve her problem either. He's not like, all right, Mary, stop. I'm going to raise him from the dead right now. He later does that, which is pretty cool. But he doesn't always try to solve the problem right away. No, John 11.35 tells us how he responds. Jesus wept. So how does our God respond when we come to him something we struggle with? He cries with us. Because our God loves us. We serve a God of empathy. Jesus sympathizes with her. He weeps with her. Jesus loves you. Jesus feels your pain. When you confess your struggles to him, when you show your ugly side to Jesus, he lavishes us with acceptance and ownership. That's what it looks like to trust Jesus, which is to have faith, to trust him with your real self, not your church or Chi Alpha self. Too often we fear that God will reject us when we're real with him, but in actuality, he accepts us when we let him see the real us. In our weakness, God is strong because we serve a God of empathy and love. Knowing God will lead to a deeper relationship with him, and this depth will lead to the third and final step, which is mutual dependence. So I did quite a bit of research on this topic of intimacy this past week, and this idea of having mutual dependence or interdependence, it popped up quite a bit in psychology. 
See, multiple sources had it as a sign of intimacy, including this article by Psychology Today that says, intimate relationships also tend to be highly interdependent, wherein each person influences the other meaningfully, frequently, and vastly in terms of topic and importance. Mutual dependence just means that both sides depend on each other. They make decisions with the other person in mind. The other person impacts them. See, depth is going to lead to this mutual dependence where we rely on God. That's deep level intimacy when you sacrifice for people, when you give of your own self for each other. In his book, Secret of the Secret Place, Bob Sorge says it this way, the greatest intimacy is found in the mutual giving of ourselves radically to each other. The cross, Jesus dying on a cross for your sin, Jesus giving everything that he has for you, demonstrates how radically he gives himself to me. And my embracing of the cross is giving myself back to him with lavish abandonment. That's deep intimacy. Jesus radically gave himself to us. And when we are honest with God and we radically give ourselves back to him, he accepts us and loves us. That's how we develop trust, mutual dependence, and intimacy. Mary does this in the next chapter of John, in John 12, 3. It says this, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. She gave of her expensive ointment, the most prized possession she had. She gave it to God. In a different version, in one of the other Gospels, it says that she cried and wiped the feet of Jesus with her tears because Mary fully trusted and depended upon Jesus. That's intimacy. Knowledge that leads to depth, that leads to mutual dependence, which leads to intimacy. This process of becoming intimate with Jesus takes time. This is no rush. Jesus is patient, but he does want you to start this journey with him. So how are we intimate with Jesus then? How do we do this? We have to spend time getting to know him, just like any other relationship. We have to trust him. We have to rely on him. Maybe you are called to give something up for God and go to that mutual dependence. Maybe you're called to give up time or maybe treasure or maybe your talent, something for Jesus. And this will lead to intimacy when you depend on him, knowing that he can do more with your time than you can. Knowing that God is smarter than you and he knows best. See, in a big way we do this is what we talked about two weeks ago. We abide. As a reminder, abiding is just being connected to the vine. We learn this in John 15. See, abiding is remaining, tarrying, staying with Jesus. And we do this through having daily quiet time with Jesus where we read the scriptures, where we pray. We practice what we call spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are just habits or rhythms that we put into our life to intentionally connect to Jesus. So if you haven't already started, start reading your Bible. One chapter a day. Start in the book of John. Pray 15 minutes a day. Just talk to Jesus. This is how we practice the presence of God. We do actions that remind us of Jesus. Another discipline they have is called silence. It's when you sit in silence before God. It's when you maybe take 30 seconds and you just try to listen to Jesus. See, I think too often we feel like we can't hear from Jesus, but it's because when we talk to him, we're doing all the talking. We never silence ourselves and just listen to Jesus. So how is he supposed to, he's not going to scream over top of you. Jesus speaks in a whisper. So sit in silence before God. Let God speak to you. Spiritual disciplines, they're just a means to an end. The goal is not Bible reading, prayer, silence, and solitude. The goal is to abide with Jesus, to be connected with him, to have intimacy. Intimacy takes intentionality. Spiritual disciplines are the way that we can get connected to Jesus. This is the first step to intimacy. I know these rhythms are hard to create. It's challenging to read your Bible every day. It's challenging to pray every day. See, I don't expect you to start reading 10 chapters of the Bible tomorrow and sitting in silence and solitude for three hours. No, let's take our time. I'm really bad at sitting in silence, to be honest. I'll sit there, it'll feel like I'm sitting for ages, just years. And then I'll see my dog running in circles, chasing a bunny in the backyard outside my window, and I'll look at him. And then I'll look back, I'm like, wait, I only spent seven seconds sitting in silence, but I spent seven minutes looking at my dog. Hmm, that didn't work out the way I wanted it to. 
See, it's okay. God's not mad at me. It takes time. So start small. Do something you can manage and work your way up from there. It's all a process, but you do need to start this process. Too often we put off getting intimate with Jesus. We think, we'll do that later. I'll start trying later. I'll start reading my Bible later. No, we start now. Now is the time to start trying to be intimate with Jesus, slowly and surely trying to get connected to him. And as we are connected to Jesus, we are faced with the crossroads, right? Because as you spend more time with people and are more intimate with them, you start to be more like them. So you're going to come to a crossroads where you're going to have to decide, do I want to be like Jesus or not? So that begs the question, well, what is Jesus like? Right before Jesus died on the cross, he told his disciples that he's going to send his spirit. And the spirit's going to be kind of like his representation. So the spirit and Jesus and God, they're all just different representations of God. So when we read about the spirit, we're reading about Jesus. They're really one. And in the book of Galatians, the author Paul describes what the spirit is like. In Galatians 5.22, it says this, but the fruit of the spirit or the characteristics of the spirit, the characteristics of Jesus is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So that's the life of Jesus. He is loving, he's joyful, he's peaceful, he's patient. Do you want a life like this? Do you want peace? We live in a world surrounded by anxiety, conflict, tension, and I think most of us are crying out, we just want some peace. Do you want joy? See, it's easy to go through life joyless, especially in this cultural moment, right? Do you want self-control? Do you want gentleness? I think most of us want this, right? I think we want this life of Jesus. But if we're honest, many of us want the life of Jesus, but we don't want the lifestyle of Jesus. See, we aren't full of peace, love, patience. I'm really not patient, so I'm not full of that one. And we ask, why, God? Why don't I have peace? See, we are just a product of our lifestyles. It's our routines and our habits. To borrow from the business world, our systems, so the way you live your life, is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting right now. The systems in your life is perfectly designed to get you the results you're getting right now. So your lifestyle is perfectly designed to give you the life that you have. So if you want something to change about your life, you have to change your actual lifestyle. For example, when I go to the gym, I see these guys that are just ripped out of their mind. They're just always curling, and it's always way more weight than I can do. They throw weight around. They all have six-packs. They look good, okay? They're good-looking men. And I want that. I want to be ripped. I want huge arms that pulse through my veins. But then I think about it. What does it take to look like that? See, something I notice is every time I'm at the gym, those same three dudes are there. I don't think they leave. I don't think they go and sleep. They're always there, always getting ripped. See, I think they probably never skip leg day to go play basketball with their friends, and I do that like twice a week. And then I think, you know, they probably don't go have Raising Cane's and ask for an extra sauce or two. They probably don't go to Four Queens and get a snowstorm. And then I think about it, I'm like, you know, I'm good. I'm all right now with the big arms. That doesn't sound that fun, actually. So the end product of their life is not worth the lifestyle to me. I'll go back to skipping leg day so I can shoot air balls with John. It's fun. So you think about these things, and with the life of Jesus, we can't force them. You can't force yourself to be more peaceful. You, can't, you can act more peaceful, so you can like go get some green tea and put your pinky up and be like, I'm going to have peace today. And then you can sit here for about 10 minutes, you'll feel good about yourself, and then someone's going to cut you off in traffic. I guess you'd be driving, not standing. Or someone's going to do something angry, and if you're not full of peace, you're going to chuck the teacup at them because you're mad. You can't force yourself to be more peaceful. You can try to act more peaceful, but that lasts as long as our willpower will let it last, which is usually about 12 minutes. Or maybe we just really want patience. So we grow impatient. We're like, I'm going to stand in a long line so I can grow. I'm going to wait for my coffee. I'm going to be patient. And then we're standing there, and then you start digiting. You get a little angry, like, I want my freaking coffee right now. Okay, you can't control yourself. Be more patient. You cannot 
be more patient. You can act more patient, but you can only be it through like willpower. So what's the solution? How do we do these things? How do we become more loving or joyful or peaceful? We have to bear the fruit of the Spirit. It goes back to John 15. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You cannot live the fruit of the Spirit on your own. You have to abide in Jesus. We have to live the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus' life was characterized by three things. First of all, his life was very unhurried. Jesus was okay with interruptions. Jesus was okay with being slow. We cannot spend all day distracted by our phones, jumping from app to app, living a life of heavy running through our calendar, being fully full of every 30,000 Google calendar notifications, constantly being stimulated. Like, we've got TikTok here. We've got a game up there. We're playing video games down here, too. It's like three things going at once. We can't do all these things and expect a life of peace. That's not a very peaceful lifestyle, so why would we have a peaceful life? Jesus also spent a ton of time in community. It's the second thing that's defined him. He spent a lot of time in fellowship with his friends. We're going to talk about that next week. And finally, the third thing that described Jesus' life is he spent a lot of time alone with God. He was either in community with his friends or alone with God. He was either off in a mountain or some desolate place praying. He was connected to the vine, and that led to him bearing fruit. See, we're all stressed. We're all hurried. We all feel burnt out in this season. I know. I can sense it. And we're asking, why don't I have peace? I'm coming to Chi Alpha, but I don't feel peace. It's because we do not have the lifestyle of Jesus. We cannot bear the fruit of Jesus without living like Jesus. We cannot expect his life without doing the work of his lifestyle. And as we are intimate with Jesus, we will start to live like him. We will start to see the fruit of the Spirit. We'll start to experience peace and love and joy in our hearts. This is a simple idea. Live like Jesus and spend time with him. It's simple, but it's really, really hard. That's okay. It's a process. But we need to start this process of trying to be a little bit more like Jesus, of trying to be intimate with him every single day. So why does any of this matter? I stole this idea from Eli Gotro. He's a Chi Alpha pastor in Texas. All right, ladies, I want you guys to imagine something for me, okay? I need you to pay attention for this. Imagine this. I want you to imagine, you're all single, by the way, if you're imagining this. I want you to imagine that you're going to spend a summer abroad studying in a country in Latin America. And as you get down there, you meet this young man. Ooh, this young man's like a Latin Fabio, baby. He looks good. He's drop-dead gorgeous. He's got that hair that kind of swoops over and like lightly covers his eye. Big, brown, beautiful eyes. He's got nice, big arms. And you know he loves Jesus, right? Because his shirt's untucked down to here, and he's got a big gold cross necklace right over his furry chest. So we know he loves Jesus. So this Jesus-loving man that looks better than any guy you've ever seen in Iowa, you start to fall in love with this guy. Not only is he looking good, he's also a sweet man. He loves Jesus. He's working hard. This man's just like a picture from your dreams. Like, thank you, God, for my Latin Fabio. And you spend the whole summer with him. And at the end of the summer, you've decided you've fallen in love with this man. He's your entire world. And as you get ready to go back home, you get ready to go to your, up on the airplane, the Latin Fabio walks you up to the door. And then he gets down on one knee and looks at you as you go up to the airplane. And your heart's just like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, it is about to happen. He's about to ask me to marry him. And you're like, yes, God, you are so good. Thank you for my prayers. And then he's back here and he's like, will you marry me? And then you get so excited. And right before you say yes, he says, wait, hold on one second. Wait one second. Let me be perfectly clear. I don't love you. Nor do I like you. Your personality is actually rather unattractive to me. You're not my soulmate. 
I don't want to be together forever. I don't want this to be a loving bond. See, I don't want you. I just want a ticket to America. I just need you to get me there legally. Ladies, how does that make you feel? How do we think God feels when all we follow him for is a ticket to heaven? How do you think God feels when we don't want intimacy with him? We don't actually love him, but we're just after him for what we can get from him, the ticket to heaven. When all we want is a get out of hell free card with no strings attached to how we live our lives. See, I think too often we think of Jesus as this like far off God judge ready to smite us when in actuality, he's a loving potential husband who just wants to be with you. He just wants intimacy with you. He does not want a relationship defined on obligation because he adores you. You are the apple of God's eye. He wants intimacy with you. He does not want the obligatory relationship of a green card wedding. No, he wants an intimate relationship with you. He doesn't want a relationship that's just centered around doing some right things so you can get to heaven. No, he wants a relationship that is centered around intimacy and real devotion. Maybe your relationship with God has been like a green card wedding. You haven't wanted intimacy with him. You haven't wanted to actually take the step of reading your Bible because that just seems like too much. Like coming to Chi Alpha, that's good for me. I'm good there. I'm good with staying there. Jesus is just sitting there like, I just want more for you. So maybe you're here and you have been like this green card wedding, just following God because you feel like you have to or because you want something from him. So you have an opportunity tonight. You can keep living a life of following God to get something, or we can do a different path. We can intentionally develop intimacy with our Father in heaven. And as you do this, as we turn to God and say, I want to be intimate with you, Brother Lawrence tells us what happens. The king full of mercy and goodness, very far from chastising you, very far from making me mad or yelling at me or getting in trouble or telling us how we're wrong. No, what does the king do? He embraces me with love. He makes me eat at his table. He serves me with his own hands. He gives me the key of his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me incessantly in a thousand and a thousand ways. The God of the universe treats me with all respects as his favorite. It is thus I consider myself from time to time his holy presence. When we run to God, he opens up the floodgates to love you. You and I can keep pursuing a life of lifeless religion. Or we can have intimacy with God. When you run to God and you're real with him, he will lavish you with grace. Jesus loved us enough to want relationship with us. Jesus died on a cross to forgive us of our sins because he loved us. He didn't die on a cross for you. He didn't give everything so he could have a robotic relationship with you where you just blindly follow and do a couple right things. Because guess what? That doesn't actually affect God. Having blind followers does not make his life easier. He's God. He doesn't need blind robotic followers. He can do anything he wants. What he wants is a life-giving, intimate relationship with you simply because he loves you. Let's not be a people who just do the right things and do the right things. Let's be a people who pursue real devotion and intimacy with the God of the universe who's just asking us for it. And Jesus wants intimacy with you. Jesus wants to grow in knowledge. He wants depth. He wants to be real with you. And then he wants mutual dependence where you depend on him or you rely on him. And that'll lead to intimacy. He wants you to abide in him, to remain in him, to spend time with him so that he can abide in you. You all stand with me. If we do this, if we choose to abide in Jesus and spend time with him and work on developing real devotion, We will experience life. We will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That sounds like a life worth living to me. 
we'll experience the lifestyle of Jesus, which will free us from hurry and distractions. It will give us community and will connect us to God on a deep level. It will give our religion life. It will give us a path to intimacy with Jesus, which will turn our world upside down. If we do this, we abide with God, we will have real devotion to King Jesus. See, intimacy, this is the fun part. This is the fun part of following God. And all we have to do to obtain it, to be intimate with God, is to practice the presence of God. Think about Him and have daily time with Him. We must be intentionally intimate with Jesus. Every week at Kyle, we like to give two opportunities to respond. The first of which is if you're here and you're honest, you've never had, let alone an intimate relationship with God, you've never had any relationship with God. And you want Jesus to cover you with grace. Maybe you feel a lot of shame in this place. Maybe you feel like you've screwed up too much, that God wouldn't love you, that you've just gone too far, you've ran away too much from him. And God wants to say, that is blasphemy, that is not from me. I love you no matter what you've done. And God wants to cover every one of your sins right now. And all he's going to ask of you is to take a moment, take a step of faith and say, Jesus, I'm all in. So the way we practically do that here in Chi Alpha is we raise our hands. So I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if you want to raise your hand to say, Jesus, I'm in, I want your grace to cover me, just as a sign to him, not a sign to anyone looking around. So if you guys would all close your eyes and bow your heads. If you want to raise your hand just as a sign to Jesus that you're all in, do that on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you. Yes, Jesus, let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I thank you so much for our new members of the kingdom of God. Jesus, thank you that we can have intimacy with you. Thank you for saving us from our sins, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Second group, second opportunity. If you're here tonight, and if you're honest, your relationship with Jesus has felt a little bit void of intimacy, like you've just kind of been going through the motions, and you want that to change tonight, let's have that change. Let's be intimate with Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to commit to intimacy, to commit to being intentionally intimate. So if that's you, I'd like you just to put your hands just like this. Just put them out in front of you. You can put them up. You can put them here. You can do whatever you want with them. You can do that right now if you want to commit to intimacy with Jesus. Because by doing this, we're saying, Jesus, I'm in. I'm committing. We're doing an action to say, Jesus, I surrender. Come and fill me with intimacy. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, I just thank you that we can be intimate with you, God. Thank you for loving us enough to want us to be devoted to you. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.